very, very cool to be here. I think you'll enjoy this uh, message. I've chosen a very cheery title for you. Um, we just want to be as... <laughs> Woohoo! Um, you know, uh, so don't, don't be thrown by that. But, uh, you know, my heart in, in this message as we sort of go forward uh, really, really flows out of just a, a number of weeks of wrestling and, and, and working with people through some uh, aspects of pain and suffering and, and challenge in their lives. And, uh, you know, I met with a, a, a good friend um, uh, earlier this week who uh, has gotten into a place of being in, in, in significant doubt about uh, the place of God in, in his life and, and Christianity. He's a person who's really wrestled with, um, you know, is it a point of really asking himself, does, does Christianity, is it really the real deal? Um, he believes God exists. He's uh, in a place of, yeah, I'm still retaining some aspects of my faith, but uh, all of this stuff that I've... Uh, I've believed and that I've, I've, I've held on to and that I've acted out in terms of my involvement in the church. I, I'm just not sure about it anymore. And this is coming from someone who is really involved in ministry, who is really, uh, in, a, in my mind, passionately called to uh, the things of, of God, passionately called to serve the kingdom. And, uh, and in, in hearing that person go from a place of, of what seemed like rock-solid faith to a place where faith is is shaken and almost non-existent, uh, it it brought me to uh, just the sense that there's a need for us to continually uh, remind ourselves about some of the big picture around some of these things, around some of these really big questions, like what we do with pain and suffering, and and, and beyond just that person's particular story, uh, it's something that's important for a lot of us who are wrestling with loved ones who are sick. Uh, people that we care about and, and love, uh, wrestling with terminal illnesses. Um, you know, there's so many stories of life in this imperfect world. And how do you place that in a way, theologically, with uh, a powerful, sovereign, awesome, magnificent God who saves and delivers, and who, from whom we see miracles, right? Like how many of you have, I mean, it's not going to be everybody, but how many of you have actually seen with your own eyes a physical miracle? Like we've seen physical miracles, miracles of God speaking, miracles of God revealing truth, uh, miracles of God doing physical healing. Like we've literally seen the lame walk and seen blind eyes open. We've seen a leg that was shorter than the other one grow like in an instant. Like we've got to see this and feel it and touch it and talk to the people. Uh, and so how do you place that powerful work of a sovereign God with those times when that powerful sovereign God seems not to be working? And how do you walk through all of that mess without your faith being shaken? And I want to point us to, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's really the classic text that people would teach on when they're wrestling with this issue. Let's just read together John chapter 9 verses 1 to 7. And this is Jesus. As he, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground 
made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. Go to the man. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Like, isn't that a crazy story? Like, let's just paint the picture here. We're just reading the text in our scripture reading voice. But let's paint the, paint the picture here for a moment. Like, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, and they come across a guy who's blind. And uh, the disciples presumably know this person, but they're, they're, they're inquiring, as we all do when sickness and illness happens, why is this happening? Right? Isn't that our first reaction? Like, like what's going on here? Why, why is this happening? And their first uh, you know, theory that they propose is, well, did this man sin or was it his parents? So they're working from an assumption that uh, at the core of sickness and illness and blindness and disability in this person's life is the issue of sin, right? That's what they're working from. That's what they're believing from their religious mindset. And Jesus turns that all upside down, and he says this. He says... Uh, he says, it, it's not sin. This, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed. Now, what's your first response to that? Man, God is mean. Right? Oh, you're just suffering. Your, your child is sick. Uh, your, your loved one's in the hospital. We'll say, glory to God, brother. <laughs> right? Is that, is that helpful at all? But what, what's Jesus really saying here? What's Jesus really saying? Because we know Jesus. We know who he is. We know he's not lacking compassion. We know he uh, doesn't care. We, we know that he, he cares about the, the pain and the struggle that people wrestle with. So what's he really saying here? What's he saying in this circumstance? So that the work of God might be displayed. And that's what we're going to unpack in a minute, but I'm just going to finish the story. Um, he said, uh, so after saying this, he sort of, he spit on the ground, made some mud. Like, is anybody aware that this is unsanitary? Like, like, you don't know what microbes live in that dirt, for starters. And this is a culture in which, like, people are, like, peeing in open, you know, in the, in the bush. And, and, and people have camels walking down the road. Like, this could be, like, camel dung on this guy's eyes. Like, like what's going on? Like, this was not sanitized. This was not put in some sort of microwave device. And, and what about the spit itself? Like, Jesus hawked a loogie. Like, come on, what was this? Like, like, I don't, did he get real deep on that? You know, that's what I'm wondering. Like, did he, like, like, did he work that one out like a farmer, you know? Or, and, and, you know, like, I, I've seen farmers, and sometimes it's like this. It's one of these. <laughs> you know, like, like how, did, how did Jesus do this? Like, like he went for it, and he, he did what he was talking about, didn't he? He addressed their concerns in a completely upside-down way, didn't he? In a completely upside-down way. And he, he, he spits on the mud, he puts it on the guy's eyes and says, go wash in the pool. And the guy's like, heck yeah, I'm going to go wash in the pool. <laughs> right? Like, come on, I am motivated here. Right? Dude just spat in my eyes. And, uh, and the guy came home seeing. Like, it's a crazy, miraculous story. But what do you do in that moment when you're wrestling with that, that question of why? And this is where we've all, all been. And I hope these graphics work. Again, we didn't really know... Uh, how close the screen setup would be and visibility for you guys. I hope you can see that. But, you know, here's you. And, and there's your hurting friend. What do, you, what do you do with that? And sometimes it's, you're, it's not the hurting friend. It's you that's hurting. Right? But what do you do with that question? 
what do you, how do you understand it? How do you understand that suffering? Where did that come from? Uh, is, it, is it sin? I didn't even put sin down as, as one of the examples, but somehow each human individual who suffers with pain and, and, and struggles with something, there are numerous factors affecting their lives, right? There are numerous things impacting that situation, and some of it we can see, and some of it we can understand, and some of it we simply can't understand, right? So what, what about angels? Just throw a wild card in there. What about the spiritual world? And how does that affect a situation? Like we see in the scriptures all over the place where angels might come and, and be a part of, of a situation, be communicating something from God. Uh, spiritual beings, if we're Christians and, and we're, we're accepting that whole package, we have to understand that there's spiritual beings in the mix that are beyond what, what we know and we understand. So we, we think our lives somehow intersect with angels. We don't know how that works. But that's, that, that's one factor. But what about uh, the environment? What about our friends who are suffering with cancer? How do we calculate into it? What is just the physical environment that's in this? What's with the toxins that we consume in the air and the water and the food we eat? How do we place that? Was that the cause of the sickness or illness in a person's life? Is that what it was? What about other spiritual beings like demons? You know, oftentimes Jesus, when he saw sickness in someone's life, he rebuked a demon it came out. And we do spiritual warfare, and we, and we wrestle in that world. Again, we acknowledge that there's, there's spiritual beings that are part of that picture. Or, or what if it's just that person's history? Like, what if that person uh, had a historical injury in, the, in their lives, a head trauma or something like that, and, and ultimately that caused some mutation and cancer cells to grow, or they had a head trauma and they're unable to function in a certain way and care for themselves or whatever, someone's personal history. Or what about someone's uh, history in terms of family history and what they've been born into? Uh, was what the person's struggling with, does it have something to do with uh, the way they were brought up, with abuse they experienced as a child, or with generational sins and curses? Did this person's parents sin or did the person sin, right? That's what the disciples were asking. Is it because of some, some sin that happened? Well, it could be that. That could be a piece of the picture. But what about genetics? It could be genetics, right? Maybe, maybe somebody has a genetic predisposition to uh, a heart problem or something like that. I, is genetics the thing? Or, or maybe it's interaction just with other humans. Uh, maybe other humans have made decisions within that person's sphere. Uh, and, uh, and those decisions, uh, what... Uh, maybe they grew up with their mom smoking in their house and they have uh, asthma now. Maybe it's, maybe it's that. Or maybe, you know, somebody could uh, drive their car really fast down the road and I could be struck and killed by a car tomorrow. Like, and, and then my family has to deal with the suffering of that. A, a person's made a choice that's impacted my life, right? So, so just add these things. We could add and add and add. And it's incredibly complex, isn't it? It's incredibly complex. And when you look at your life and you look at a person's life and you look at that situation and you're trying to identify and you're trying to see what's going on, how do you wrestle down the details? How do you understand it? And, and just, to, just, to, just to add a layer of complexity, it's not just you and your friend. Those other people are all connected to all of these things as well, right? 
So this uh, understanding of the kingdom of God is really important to us at this stage, right? It's really important for us to understand that, that the kingdom of God is a place where God has come and he has uh, conquered. He is the king of the earth. He created it. But somehow we're still living in the middle of a conflict where there's lots that goes on that doesn't make sense, right? He is the king of the universe, but... But we know that he's good, and we know that he's kind, and we know that he's loving, that he doesn't want people to suffer, but people are still suffering. So how do you deal with that question, with the question of the sovereignty of God in the midst of all that suffering? How do you deal with that whole sphere that God is over? Incredibly complex, a battlefield. We literally live in a battlefield in the middle of a rebel insurgency where myself and my hurting friend exist with seven billion other people and umpteen angels and demons and an incredibly complex environment. How do you understand suffering in the complexity of that? And, and so you imagine that battlefield, you imagine that incredibly complex environment, that place where we're trying to figure it out and trying to understand the sovereignty of God. Why doesn't his will seem to be done all the time. Isn't that the, isn't that the question? Does God not get his way? And the answer that, that theologians have come to, and it seems really, really clear from just a plain reading of the text, is that God seems to be the Lord who's in charge of the whole universe, but there's a simple rule that he seems to have chosen not to violate. The rules of the battlefield are that he's not going to violate the choice of a lot of these individuals. And all of a sudden, the picture becomes much more complex. Right? He, he, the, within this sphere, within this hurting friend, uh, the, say, say Holly, who's in the hospital, God is not going to make the doctor perform a perfect surgery if Holly needed surgery, right? God is not going to, uh, you know, early, early on, the first funeral I ever participated in was a girl named Tammy Clark, and this is when I was 17 years old, and the youth pastor was away, and the pastor was away, and I ended up getting called into some responsibility around this, this funeral, um, and Amber was involved in that situation as well, and I spent time in uh, the youth pastor's office with kids coming through, 17 years old, trying to do some kind of counseling. 17, maybe I was 18, I don't know. And this girl was out with our youth group on a night walking in the streets of Richmond. And a drunk driver uh, struck and killed her in front of half the youth group. And she died on the spot. Now, how does that question of choice, Tammy didn't choose to die, but that boy chose to drink alcohol and to uh, surrender his faculties of decision-making and reaction time. And in that choosing, Tammy died. God didn't violate his choice to sin or later his choice to choose Jesus in order to make the world a perfect place for Tammy. Right? That's the, the great challenge with this question of the sovereignty of God. With this question of 
here I am living in this complex place where, where, where God gives humans the ability to make choices and do things, and I'm hurt. Where, where do we find meaning in that? And the first place we find meaning in a story like Tammy's is that we, that, that we see some nobility in the gift of suffering. Let me explain that in a moment. For let, let's, let's take Tammy's story and work with that for a moment. Tammy and her family and, and my youth group suffered greatly at the hands of this, of this driver, right? Who was free. And you can see that as that choice for that person to be free to do that thing is, is, is wrong. It shouldn't be that way. God shouldn't have loved that. Or you can see it in a different way. And you can see that when we suffer and what we suffer because of the choices of others can be considered a noble gift. To live in this space where wrong things can happen to us so that others can be free to learn to love Jesus, can be free to respond to him with an open heart, can be free to love him, can be free to learn about him, can be free to choose him without being a puppet of his. Just living in this space of chaos uh, it, it, as, a, as a Christian, as a believer, is a gift that you're giving to the world. Isn't it? It's a gift that you're giving to the world. Uh, to uh, be able to live in a space where, where pain can happen to you so that someone else can have a choice to choose to follow and to fall in love with God or not. So the first thing that, that I want us to see is that in suffering, there's some meaning and there's some nobility in it. There's a gift that you're giving to other humans when you suffer. Uh, and the question is, what do you do with this need to understand then? Because that equation uh, is so incredibly complex that it, 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 is it possible for you to understand all the variables and compute it? it, it it's simply not possible to understand why everything happened. We, we simply are too finite uh, to know why. So the other thing that's really important for us when we suffer and those ones that we love suffer is to embrace the idea of complexity and mystery. that it's important for us as humans to just remember who we are. To just remember that we're finite. To just remember that we can't see it all. Remember in our culture, in our Western world, and, and I'm not saying that striving for understanding isn't a good thing and trying to learn isn't a good thing, but we have to acknowledge that there's a limit to our ability to do so. Isn't there? Uh, understanding is our God in our culture. Knowing things is our God. Being able to determine things uh, like that scientifically, empirically. Uh, this friend of mine that's struggling is somebody who thinks of himself as a scientist. And, and he's trying so hard to understand the, the complexity of this equation and find out where God is in the midst of pain and loss that this person has suffered. And, and, and the only thing I could, or one of the only things I could offer to him was, dude, you're, you're just too small. <laughs> you know, honestly, and I'm too small. We, we, we just don't have the ability to see it, and it's so much healthier for us to be in a humble place of saying, I'm too small to get all this. I have to entrust some of it to the knowledge and will and the understanding of God. 
that he knows from his perspective that ultimately he can work all these things together for good. He ultimately works all of these things together for good. That's where we introduce the concept and the idea of heaven, isn't it? Right, like, like this, this person who's experienced this loss in their life, um, that, that years of, that could have been years of relationship with, with someone who died, uh, it could have been decades of relationship and friendship with someone who died. Those decades, that 30, 40, 50 years of relationship, when you do do the math and compare that to the light of eternity and whatever God has in store for that, that 30, 40 years of loss and pain and missing someone, all of a sudden can seem a little smaller if you trust entrusted into the hands of God when you compare 30, 40, 50 years to eons. The suffering we have now, and this is why the scripture just says this again and again, especially in Ecclesiastes, life is but a moment. Life is but a moment. It's but a vapor. That there's something more, there's something greater, there's something hopeful, there's something beyond the now that we can see that, uh, that is transformative, that uh, is good, that is the resurrection, that is life, that is the power of God, that is beauty. That if we trust God to take care of the mystery, we know that's left. For, so, so what's left for us then to do when we humbly admit that we don't have a complete understanding of this mystery and this complexity? What, what's left for us to do? And the reality is, is that there are areas where we can contribute. And this is an important phrase. We are not here to understand we're here to contribute. Everywhere we look in this circle within the, the question of choice under the sovereignty of God, everywhere we work within that circle, we can influence the outcome in some ways. We cannot understand the whole picture. We cannot understand everything. We cannot see all the variables. We cannot uh, compute the whole thing, but we pray. We do relationship, we serve, we uh, exercise our spiritual gifts, and we love. When we pray into a situation of a hurting friend where there are angels or demons and history and genetics and other humans and that whole incredible swirl, when we pray, we know, and, and, and we don't even understand how this works. This itself is a mystery, but we understand that prayer changes some of that behind the scenes. That changes things in the realm of the mystery beyond what we understand. It changes things in, in, in ways that we can't see. And so we pray into the mystery for the kingdom of God to come. And we know that that affects somehow the interactions of angels and demons and the outflow of the power of God and, and healing sometimes breaks through and the kingdom sometimes comes. And in those uh, situations, we walk with that person who's suffering. We enter into relationship. We carry it with them. We make their burden lighter. Uh, we serve and we clean their toilets and we make them food and we uh, love them and we care for them and we, we bless them in tangible ways. Uh, we ask 
enough that spiritual gifts would be poured out. We pray for words of wisdom and words of knowledge that bring comfort and clarity and insight so that we can understand more of the picture. And above all, we simply, we pour out our love. And what I mean by that, uh, that love sums up all of those actions that we can do. But we pour out affection. As we, the scripture talks about us loving from the heart. We, we love people with affection in the, in the midst of suffering. We pour ourselves out. And so to understand this incredibly complex equation, we, we lay some of that understanding down and we trust to the mystery. We put it in the hands of God. But everywhere we go, we do the work of him who sent us. We are not there to just be passive and to be trying to understand and to be trying to wrestle and be trying to get it and trying to have knowledge. We are there to act as representatives of the kingdom of God. Our role there is to advance the kingdom of God and the knowledge of God in all of those situations that the works of God might be displayed through us. Our primary role is not to understand, but to love and contribute to the revelation of the kingdom of God. You see that? That the works of God might be displayed. The works of God might be revealed. The hand of God might be known. The love of God might be seen. And so that answer to the question uh, for us of, of wrestling with, with suffering is, is to embrace some mystery humbly. To cry and to weep and to mourn, but to act out and live out the kingdom of God all around us with all of our hearts, that the works and the glory of God might be shown. Let's stand up. Father, by that same power that you have given humans to choose evil, we ask that we would be those who choose to follow you. That that incredible gift of choice would be uh, our weapon. That incredible gift of choice would be ours to advance the kingdom of God wherever we are. That we would never see ourselves as passive in suffering. And especially not passive in the suffering of others that we would see that there is your glory to be shown, your work to be done, your kingdom to be advanced, that whatever tiny pieces of this very, very complex equation that we can touch are meant to be places where you are more and more and more and more present until your glory fills the whole earth. We pray, Father, that... Uh, not only the knowledge of the glory of God, not only that the glory of God would fill the whole earth as the scriptures say, but we pray towards the one day when the knowledge of the glory of God would fill the whole earth. That it would be seen, that it would be revealed, that it would be known through us as we live in this complex equation where suffering happens. And everywhere we go, everywhere our feet step, would it just be better and better and better because of who you've made us to be as your kids. Release us uh, to serve. Release us in ministry. Release us as warriors. Release us uh, to, to go into the thick of life and to bring 
uh, the light of Jesus. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.